Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Previously on Matt Minnick's Bengals Chalk Talk. And with with modern medicine, I, you know, these guys can keep playing at a high level. And I think AJ can get back. And mm. I think because of the continuing nature of the way the cap is rising, I think I'd be comfortable with a $20 million deal. Trading, cutting Dalton, and drafting Joe Burrow, they are opening up $11 million in the cap. I honestly think that's a player, that's a reasonable enough player. It's it's more than a John Miller. It's That'd be a great signing to me, not just from the Bengals standard, but that's a targeted signing at an area of need at a player who's just coming off his rookie deal in his prime that good teams make teams that are committed to winning make those types of signings and don't think twice about it uh you know let's say they gave him three years 30 million yeah now now he's now he's at 10 million a year instead of 16 uh but he's getting it faster people far too often get hung up on what the average salary is but they take it out of context or they don't look at it in the full context of what's the cap going to be and really what's the cap going to be in years down the line what kind of you know what kind of salary are you willing to pay when you're uh, only getting a fraction of the games yeah don't it sound so epic horns are screaming night the one you want to mess with use a joke i ain't the one you want to jest with the battle's coming you only got a few seconds to run yeah all right this is matt Menix bengals chalk talk thank you for joining us for part two of my conversation with andre parada about the salary cap and the Bengals situation uh, with their free agents, uh, potential cuts, potential trades, and uh, of course, potential free agent acquisitions. How are you doing today, Andre? I'm doing great. Thanks. How are you, Matt? Great. So, uh, hey, Andre, what, what we start off, I uh, got a lot of comments, a lot of really positive feedback last week. Uh, you want to just give everybody your uh, your your Twitter handle because that's a yep. very common question I got over the last week. <laughs> sure. So it's just uh, it's my first name, which is A N D R E Andre, and then my last name, which is pronounced Parada. So it's A N D R E P E R R O T T A thirteen. Uh, it's at Andre Parada thirteen. Easy enough. All right. Awesome. So we covered the offense last week. Uh, Today, we're going to get into the defense. If you have not listened to last week's episode, perfectly fine. You're not going to be lost or anything. You can finish up with this one and then then just go ahead and go back and check out last week's. Uh, So we'll start up front with the defensive line. A uh, couple of couple of free agents uh, in the middle of the defensive line, and outside of Geno Atkins, probably the you know the the biggest you know most impactful uh, you know guys that get the most playing time um, you know Billings and Tupo. So what um, you know what is their situation? What are we looking at uh, for the likelihood of bringing them back? Yeah. Um, so for let's start with Andrew Billings. Obviously, a, a drafted player, a homegrown player. 
fourth round pick. Still very young, I think. I think Billings is not good. If he's 24, he just turned 24 or something. He's still a very young player for already playing four years. Uh, obviously, he slid on draft day, if you remember, Matt, when he came out in 2016. People had pegged him to be at a higher spot than where he eventually ended up going in the fourth round. But I think it's because of his limitations, maybe as a pat as a, uh, as an interior pass rusher, maybe some of those skills as, as you probably know better were lacking. Um, but Billings at times, obviously he has a pretty decent uh, pro football focus grade. If you, if you put stock into that, uh, he has shown some ability, obviously good ability, good enough to be stout at the point of attack against the run to really fill in that nose position uh, along the D line. And when the Bengals this past year under Anna Rumo went to that like the five man front with those the heavy package, whether it was a combination of Gino and uh, Josh Tupo and Billings or Rennell Wren or any of the other bigger guys, um, you saw a little bit more usage or value placed in them. But overall, these guys, unless you have the ability to rush the passer on the open market, these guys, these types of players at Billings. Um, that Billings is really the uh, kind of a limited pass rusher, but a good run defender. Um, their markets are, are obviously limited um, when they're teams that are able to bid for their services. And so for Billings, I do think the team, just because of their propensity, like we talked last week, and as everybody knows, they, they prefer to sign their own. Um, and so I think they just judging on the way that they likely think, I, 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 I would guess that they want him back. But they want him back, obviously, at their terms, on their terms. And so I think they'd be comfortable doing a deal, maybe like a what Daquan Jones, uh, big defensive tackle for the for the Tennessee Titans, has signed for. That was already a couple years ago, but he signed for a deal around seven APY um, with about total guarantees of about fourteen million. So that if you project those numbers out, I could see like a four-year, twenty-eight million dollar deal with like twelve million of that guaranteed for Billings. Um, I, I think the Bengals will be comfortable with that. I think that's right around the range where he'd get on the open market, potentially a little bit more if there are multiple teams bidding for him. But honestly, you'd have to question the value there. Is that, is that you know, he's on a rookie deal, kind of like the Bobby Hart situation from a year ago, just on a different side of the line. Is it worth giving Billings that that significant of a raise for the, for the output that he's going to give you? Yes, he'll be good against the run, very likely, but you know, is is almost a six and a half fold increase of what his cap was this past year worth it for next year and years forward, considering that the Bengals generally honor these types of deals. I'm just not sure. I'm not sure if he's worth it. And if it were me, I would have, you know, I would have no problem with Billings testing the market. <clears throat> Andrew, go see what you're worth. We'd like to have you back. Here's what our absolute maximum is. And if some team beats that, more power to you. I, I really wouldn't be comfortable yeah. going over seven million a year for him because of the limited player. And in fact, you didn't mention him. He's a, he's an outside player. Maybe you could discuss this more. If they're going to go heavy there, uh, you know, in other words, target a defensive tackle, like someone to pair next to Gino, more in the nose position. Um, I'm not sure if he totally fits this, but look no further than inside the division with Javon Hargrave. Form 2016 pick, I believe he went in the round uh, before Billings did. I think he went in round three. The Steelers probably can't afford to re-sign him, and he's going to get some decent offers on the open market. He'll cost more because he does have the ability to rush the passer. But I think, you know, you know, maybe for about three or four more million APY, you're talking 10 or 11 million APY, I think um, Hargrave will get that on the open market. It may be worth considering for the Bengals if they want to add a little bit more pass rush juice to the defensive interior to pair with Geno. And and you have to think, too, with the way, you know, if Burrow comes in and performs well, the offense is going to be better than it was last year, right? So 
ostensibly the Bengals are going to have some more leads than playing with than they than they have in the years past. So you're going to have some D line men that are going to be have their ears pierced, uh, pinned back, so to speak, and be after the passer uh, with teams trying to catch up. Um, if the Bengals have a lead, for example, so you may want to look for that. You may want to have that be part of the analysis of, you know, what are some, maybe some interior defensive lines that we can, defensive linemen that we can target that may offer a little bit more than what Andrew Billings does. Sure. You know, I think a guy like Hargrave and I think a guy like, uh, like a Chris Jones, who's probably going to cost a pretty penny after a nine sack year in a, in a Super Bowl uh, championship um, that we all know that Billings is excellent at dropping into pass coverage. Uh, <laughs> but how many uh, times did you see that last year man too, too many times you know, I, I think it gives those those guys have a little bit more flexibility uh that i think you know both both hargrave and jones i, th- I think you can play them in a zero with, but i think you can play them out in a five as well you know i think you can play them in different spots along the line um and we saw that you know with tupo and billings you know when they when they were in those uh those odd fronts uh, you know, that they would move those guys along the line of scrimmage. So, um, yeah, I think having a guy that brings a little bit more versatility to the package could be interesting. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that, you know, Glasgow is not really somebody that can be trusted to stay healthy uh, just with his, with his past. But I think Rennell Wren, who they drafted last year, is um you know is is a guy who can play a lot of different positions and and honestly when I watched his film um, following the draft I, I kind of knew a little bit about him going into the draft but when I really broke into him when he became a Bengal I looked at it and I said are they going three four because this guy is the perfect nose tackle uh, <laughs> so um, so I think you know there, there might be some options there internally but yep. you know uh, so you mentioned Hargrave a little bit you know what if they wanted to you know, wanted to take a big shot and go for, you know, a, a Chris Jones type of guy. Uh, how much do you think Chris Jones is going to cost uh, out there on the market? Yeah, he he would be the probably the the highest, uh, the high, most highly suited, uh, sought after defensive player in 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 on the market. Of course, there are going to be a lot of quarterbacks available but on the defensive side. There will be some playmakers as well on all three levels. But you know, Chris Jones uh, is on the open market. He'll. He'll likely come under. He'll, he'll, he probably won't beat Aaron Donald's uh, high water mark uh, with his extension that he signed a couple years ago, which is you know he had a total of I think eighty six million guaranteed, and he's averaging twenty two point five uh, million APY. Again, the open market's crazy. Wouldn't totally shock me if Jones bests that because he's he's younger obviously than Donald. He's coming off his rookie contract and. You know, he's an explosive player. He had a great Super Bowl. He was a little banged up, too, in the postseason. And he, you know, he dominated that Super Bowl. He had moments of of dominance uh, on the defensive side of the ball. He had that really critical batted ball, too, on that second down pass play on that Mm. critical drive in the fourth quarter when Kittle was open. And if if Garoppolo completes that pass, the 49ers, I think their win probability would have would have uh, gone up pretty significantly. But Jones batted that ball down. And then the next play, third down, 49ers had to punt. But that just goes. The reason I bring that up is, you know, he's he's a big time player and he showed up big time Absolutely. in the Super Bowl. Those yeah. guys are going to get paid. The Chiefs, obviously, this is like we talked last week. This is the first year that Mahomes is eligible for an extension since he's played three years now as a drafted player. So I think the priority for for Veach, the GM there in Kansas City, is going to be to lock up Mahomes, even though they don't really have to do it now uh, because he's still under contract. Not even his fifth year option. He's under his fourth year going into 2020. But it's only going to get more expensive for Mahomes. The only way it's going to stay the same or get less 
I don't think it's going to le- get less. But the only way it's going to stay the same is if he suffers some sort of catastrophic injury in the preseason and doesn't play next year. But it's only going to get more expensive to sign Mahomes the longer the Chiefs take. And so because of that, yeah. it's yeah. unlikely— They definitely want to get it done before the new, uh, the new CBA. That's right. And, yeah. and, and But because of that, because of Mahomes' situation, I've read this week that they would also like to keep Chris Jones. And I think the only way to do that is to tag him because— um, you know, they'd like to reach an extension, but I don't think at this point um, Jones and his representatives are going to agree to an extension. They're going to want to see what the market bears for them. And I don't think Kansas City is going to want to let them see that because the market, like I said, I don't know if he would get the twenty two point five million high water mark that Aaron Donald has for defensive tackles or defensive interior players on the defensive line. But, you know, he could push it and he could even get. He could even best it. it. You know, it's not, it, it wouldn't be crazy. But I really think he's going to be franchised. And the franchise tag for defensive tackles is about 15 uh, and a half, the non exclusive. Uh, it's about 15 and a half million, according to over the cap projections. But we'll get those true numbers coming up here at the end of this month. But I really think that's the, that's the line. That's the line that, or the path this is going to go down. Jones will likely be franchised and he probably won't hit the market. Uh, but I would say this it wouldn't shock me if the Chiefs tag him and then trade him for a decent haul. Obviously they have a late round and the last pick in each round. You know, I, I see some team in the middle of the pack offering maybe a couple first round picks for him for Chris Jones. It wouldn't shock me. I think this, this off season, obviously the last year, of the CBA, you got a bunch of quarterbacks that are going to be available. Even like Andy Dalton, who's under contract, he's going to be traded. If you read the, the reports today, as we all knew. So there's going to be a lot of movement. I'm just excited for this off season, but Chris Jones, unfortunately, just me being a fan of contracts and, and players on the market, and seeing what the market bears for these guys, I, I don't think Chris is going to get there. I think the Chiefs will block him and they'll put the franchise tag on him. But again, even if he were on the market, he's the type of player that would command so much guaranteed money that it would be at a level that the Bengals would just not feel comfortable doing. But then again, could you imagine a defensive line with, you know, Dunlap is obviously getting older and he's on the exterior, but he's still productive. And Geno, same thing, but you put Jones in there, you add Hubbard on the exterior, Carl Lawson. I mean, you're cooking. I mean, you're cooking with gas on a, with a D line like that. But really, any team that is lucky enough to add a Chris Jones is 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 really in the driver's seat. But if I were a betting man, I'd, I'd say he's back in Kansas City on a lo- on a franchise tag, and uh, maybe signs an extension there, but likely plays out the season on the franchise tag in Kansas City. Um, but maybe there's also a small possibility where he's tagged and then traded. But I I, I think there's absolutely zero possibility that he ends up uh, in Cincinnati. We can dream, though, can't we? You know. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, nothing else. That's right. So uh, now, now you you mentioned um, uh, you know the the open market can get crazy, and and obviously defensive tackle is a different you know pay skill you're looking at compared to defensive end. Um, you know, you know, with with a Geno, with a Chris uh, Chris Jones, and a and a Darnold, you know, that that's a little bit different. Uh, oh, but by, by the way, I should mention that uh, the the Chris Jones thought process. Uh, that's uh, 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 Joe Goodberry, Jake Liskow, uh, you know, uh, we're talking about that a little bit. So I wanted to give them a shout out for, for that, that idea. But um, all those guys, those are, they're great guys. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, with the uh, open market, uh, I think, you know, an edge rusher, a pass rusher is something you can always use no matter how many you have. And I think we've seen that, uh, you know, with some of the teams that have won the Super Bowls in recent years. You know, that's where they've been really strong on defense from the Eagles, uh, the Seahawks going back a couple of years. Um, so, you know, to add an edge, 
you know, in, in general to, to add a, you know, a pass rusher, uh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe, you know, just a veteran guy who could be kind of a moving piece. Uh, you know, what are we looking at to, to add that type of guy who's got some experience, you know, maybe, maybe a guy that's been a, been a 10 sack guy before, but maybe a touch past his prime, but could be a rotational piece. Um, you know, in general, uh, a Michael Bennett type, say, yeah. uh, how much are those guys going for in the open market? So those guys, you know, if you're looking at a veteran guy, uh, they're probably going for at least 10 at the bare, at the very minimum, 10 mil a year. Uh, so like a three year, 30 million type deal. I, I, I recall like a Jabal Sheard type of player who was, hmm. who bounced, he was originally with Cleveland and then went to New England and then is went to Indianapolis. Who's, he actually now was a free agent, I think. But he signed the last time uh, a, a, a fairly modest deal, a two-year deal. Um, it, it was less than twenty million total, so it was less than the ten million EPY. But he was able to provide some juice. He was a nice find by Chris Ballard in Indianapolis on the open market, and he was a guy that I, I guess the Colts had obviously scouted coming out of college, coming out of Pitt, and then scouted while he was in the pros, and they felt that maybe he was underutilized in New England scheme, and they found a better fit for him, and. And they got a good deal for him. But generally speaking, um, you know, you mentioned Michael Bennett back in the day, Cliff Averill back in the day as well. Those guys, when they signed with Seattle and Seattle was kind of gobbling those veterans up, um, I remember Averill signed, I think, for a three-year, $30 million deal. And that was a while ago. So that, I think that would be like the bare minimum. Now, for a veteran-type player, for for a player who, like a Jabal Sheard, who's on the plus side of 30 but has been in the league. He, he, his technique is refined, and he's, he's still honing, you know, working on that on the technical aspects of rushing the passer. passer. You know, those guys get paid still. Um, but if you're looking for like a younger guy, like the Shaq Barrett mold, you know, Shaq Barrett, uh, you know, I think he received votes, some votes for Defensive Player of the Year. He was played at an All Pro level. The Bengals actually, you know, brought him in for a visit last year and and didn't sign him due to a medical concern, I believe. But he tore it up down in Tampa coming out, you know, in Denver, he was he was a mid-round pick and he was kind of overshadowed by first, obviously, Von Miller and then Bradley Chubb last year during Chubb's rookie year. So I think the Bengals rightly and obviously the the Bucks who signed him ultimately, they they recognized his talent. They saw it there. He was a guy. He's he's the guy, the type of player that I like to target guys coming off their rookie contract that may have not been a great fit on their current team, but showed flashes or showed ability and a team that maybe had some interest in that player in college, like followed them and, and closely scouted their, their progress in the NFL. And the Bucks were willing to pull the trigger and sign him. Now they signed him to a one-year deal, uh, but he obviously exceeded the value of that contract with the, with his output. I mean, his performance this year was, was absolutely phenomenal. Um, so he's a free agent. I don't think the Bucks will, will sign him, but the Bengals can take another stab at it. But obviously his price just went through the roof. But if we want to look at another player like that, I've always had my eyes on, on a guy from Tennessee. His name is Kamalei Correa. He played at Boise State, and the guy is an athlete. He guy he also had a pretty good postseason. He had a good, pretty good game um, in Tennessee's upset win on the road against Baltimore in the divisional round. And I think he has been underutilized a little bit in Tennessee's defense. Um, you know, he can be an out of you know four three outside linebacker, uh, but he could also be an edge player. And I think you mentioned earlier with the, with the with the heavy front that the, the Bengals employed last year, um, you know, with a three down lineman in, the, in like Carlos and and. Sam standing up on the edges, I can see like player like Kamala Correa being added to the mix and, and you mix him in with Carl Lawson and you just get a nice end rotation going on there. I think Correa has shown the ability to rush the passer 
And I think if utilized properly, he could probably do it even even better than he's shown in his first four years. And I don't think his price tag is going to be too much. I think a smart team may target him and could get him, uh, you know, maybe around like a three-year $27 million deal. So like $9 million uh, average per year with maybe half of that guaranteed. And I think that's right in the wheelhouse of what a, the Bengals would, would like to do in free agency. So I, it's just a name I, I you know, just – not basing it on anything. It's just not even a hunch. It's just a player that I've kind of seen. Obviously, he's a free agent, and I've watched closely this past year, knowing he's he's up for free agency. Mm-hmm. And if the Bengals want to get creative with kind of an under the radar, so to speak, free agent, uh, you know, I think that may be one one player to look at. But there are certainly yeah. others, of course. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that'll be a solid get. I, I, I think uh, with the Henry situation and and the money that he's going to be asking for, um, you know, it might be. Tennessee might have some hard decisions to make uh, yep. about some some other guys, so uh, definitely uh, you know a good option there. I think the big thing is you know looking at the Bengals this season, um, that defense completely changed when when Carl yeah. Lawson was around, um, and I mean Carlos Dunlap didn't have a sack while Carl Lawson was injured. Now I'm I'm not saying there's a direct relation there because. Carlos Dunlap did have sacks when Carl Lawson wasn't actually on the field. Sure. Um, but, you know, it, I mean, it, it, it's just to kind of get your thought, you know, your, your head going about how the impact that, that Lawson, you know, I think injuries to Kirkpatrick early in the year, you know, played a similar role. Or sorry, not Kirkpatrick, uh, 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 Dennard uh, yep. in, early in the year played a similar role. Um, so we can't, we like we've talked about with John Ross uh, in the last episode, uh, you, you can't 100% count on Carl Lawson to be around all the time. So being able to have some other guys that you can throw in into the mix, uh, you know, number one, to preserve Carl Lawson, uh, but also to, to have more options uh, if he is out for a few weeks, uh, I, I, think is, I think is huge. Um, yeah. Now, on that topic, Carl Lawson, uh, you know, also – potentially somebody looking for an extension this offseason. Um, there have been injury concerns, but when he has been around, he has been fantastic. And and even a year ago when his sack numbers weren't there, um, if you were really paying attention, he was he was still getting it done. He was still having an impact on the on uh, on the offensive line. Um, you know, and, and he was still getting the hurries, he was still getting the pressures. He just wasn't, you know, wasn't getting the sacks. Uh, what do you think a a talented pass rusher like Lawson with some injury concerns, uh, what do you think that type of extension might look like? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I'm a huge Carl Lawson fan. I loved him coming out of Auburn. I was shocked that he won in the fourth round, but he was a great pick. I think maybe his short arms uh, caused some teams concern, and obviously his medical concerns coming out of Auburn. But, you know, even those short arms, you know this more than me, Matt, but when I see Lawson, I see him extend usually his left arm into like the chest of the tackle. And he just has so much brute strength that he just shoves that tackle with his left arm. And it's just it's just a a jab to the guy's chest, to the tackle's chest, and it just rocks him off his base. And, you know, you see running backs being called to chip off Lawson. And I think he, he got winded on one play. I recall last year against the saints when a running back, I believe it was Kamara just came off the, the edge and, and chipped him and he got him pretty good because, you know, Carl was engaged um, with Taron Armstead, the left tackle. And it wasn't uh, like a, a chop block or anything. It was a legal block, but 
yeah, just to your point that obviously teams know about him, even if he's not getting the sack numbers, his pressure rates are always still there and he's a disruptive force. I'm a fan of Carl Lawson personally, and I want him to be a Bengal for his entire career. And I think the Bengals would give serious consideration to extending him this season. They probably are debating it internally, but for the reasons you mentioned, and really through no fault of Carl, you know, he tore his ACL last year in that Saints game, uh, non-contact injury. I think they're going to wait though. I think you know, I think they'd like to get it done. If they get it done this year, it's going to be a very favorable deal. for. It's going to be a team-friendly deal because, obviously, it's just one team bidding on him. And so Carl may want that in the sense that it provides him some security because he's on his fourth-round rookie contract making peanuts relative to his NFL peers. Uh, so he may, you know, if you look at Carlos Dunlap's extension that he signed in 2018, that the average annual value of that contract is $13.5 million. And we talked about last week about, and I think the Bengals and other teams are aware of this, they know that players talk about their money in the locker room, you know, maybe not all the time, but they know that players know this stuff. So if you give Carl already more than what somebody like Dunlap is making, and Dunlap obviously is older and he's been around, but he's also been consistent and healthy. I think if you if you offer anything more than the $13.5 million a year, you know, I think that may not sit right with, with Carlos and with other guys, too. Um, in that in in that D line room, so I, I think the thirteen and a half million dollar average is the high watermark for an extension. But I honestly think if they were to if they were if the sides were to come to an extension this offseason, it'd probably be like a four year forty eight million dollar extension, which is twelve million per year. Obviously, that gives Carlo or that gives uh, Carl security, and he may jump at that. But just knowing, like you mentioned, what the pass rushers get a, a productive pass rusher when healthy. Um, what those players get on the open market um, is is incredibly high. They, they get paid. And so his representatives and him, you know, Carl may want to bet on themselves. They may say, hey, Carl, go out there, have another, have a great season, stay healthy and, and see what the market bears the following year. Now, the Bengals can always tag him next year. That's a risk, too. But, you know, the tag this year for defensive ends is just over 19 million projected. So next year, it's probably going to be over 20 million. So. Yeah. Carlos, <laughs> yeah. So if, if, you know, Carlos can wait, I'm sure the Bengals, you know, they're obviously considering it cause he's eligible. They may even at this point or later on in the offseason present an offer. I'm sure they will to Carlos, to Carl's camp, but that offer is probably going to be for, you know, around 12 million a year, just based on what Dunlap is making and based on, you know, just what extensions generally are. They're, they're lower than market rate. Uh, but Carlo or Car- I keep saying Carlos, but Carl may think I'm going to bet on myself. Even if I get tagged next year, um, it's going to be I'm still guaranteed 20 million because the tag is fully guaranteed. So uh, the only thing I think Carl may that may inch Carl to sign it is like you mentioned his his injury history, which obviously on the conversely causes the Bengals to hit the pause button a little bit. But because of that, Carl may be thinking, well, I need to secure the bag, so to speak, now. You know what I mean? So uh, I think an offer will be extended. I'm not sure if they come to an agreement this season, but I do think though, Carl, whether it's next season uh, or he plays next season on the tag, if he really balls out and stays healthy this year, I think he will get extended with the Bengals ultimately. But I honestly don't, I don't see it happening this year. I honestly don't. I'd be surprised if it happened. I put it at 25%, uh, honestly, for an extension for Carl Lawson. Because I don't think, you know, he has to weigh his best interest too. And I think he wants to you know, get that one great bite at the apple that you get when you're coming off your rookie deal and you're on the open market and you know you can really you can pick your spot and you can pick the best you know the most money if you want to if, you, if those are your considerations but uh, you know if, if an agreement is is reached I, I would say it's probably going to be around 
you know, one year and, uh, or I'm sorry, four years, 48 million with about maybe 20 to 25 million guaranteed. And if you add that to what Carl is scheduled to make this year, um, you, you know, that, that, that puts you around like 50 million total. Cause you have this, this year plus the four years of the extension. So, um, and interestingly enough, Carl, uh, was the only player in the 2017 draft class to earn what's called the proven performance escalator, not to get too far in the weeds, but it's for players that are drafted between rounds three through seven. And if in the first three years uh, of their career, if, if in any of the two years individually, they exceed 35% of the snaps or cumulatively over those three years play in over 35%, then they get a bump up in their year four to essentially um, the original round restricted free agent tender, which is just over 2 million this year. So Carl Lawson, if you look at that 2017 class, Mixon is ineligible because he was a second round pick, but like the third through seventh round picks there, you know, Glasgow was in that class. He missed out, uh, and and the other guys in their class missed out. Carl Lawson was the only one in the class to earn that uh, proven performance escalator, which gives him a nice bump up in salary this year. Which, if you were adding to that proposed extension I have of four years, forty eight million, it gets you to around fifty million total. But again, I, I have a hard time seeing Carl and his representatives signing an extension this off season. I think they want to see him also stay healthy and really produce and really see his market develop next year when he's if he's not tagged when he'll get on the market but bottom line I'm, I'm a Carl Lawson fan for the reasons you mentioned he's a great disruptive edge player and I really think his future is bright in Cincinnati or elsewhere unfortunately if he were to leave yeah and you know he, he played the majority of this year obviously he he got that uh, um, you know he got the proven performance uh, mark that you you mentioned yep. so uh, he has demonstrated he he has played enough yeah uh, so there's no reason for his team to be so fearful that he's never going to get that contract if he doesn't do it now uh you know to to make them uh to make them go ahead and uh and, and sign immediately so yeah. um yeah so it'll be it'll be interesting to see um now Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. With Dunlap, the interesting thing is that... uh, Dunlap is signed through 2021. So if Dunlap's contract was up a year early, it would kind of make sense that maybe Dunlap's going out and, and Lawson becomes the big contract. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's something we'll have to talk about next <laughs> next offseason, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if Dunlap is a potential uh, cut at that point, uh, you know, m- most of the dead money at least should be gone at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, if that's what you want to do is, is invest that money at that position in the, in the younger guy, um, at that point. So right. and we'll to see that. Um, yeah, absolutely. And to your point about that, it's a good point you made, Matt. So next year, I, I, unless Dunlap's performance, like takes a, you know, cataclysmic drop, he, he he's, he's going to see out the deal. Unless he, his performance this year coming oh, up, sure. drops, 
I, I think he'll see out the deal. Even if he has even a noticeable drop in play, I think just out of loyalty, which is not a good reason to keep him, honestly. But I think the, he'll see the 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 end of his deal, uh, absent something on totally unforeseen, like a total drop in performance, which is unexpected for him. But at that point, even if he is, you made a great point though here, Matt, because even if 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 you know, let's say it's, it's Dunlap's play next year does dip a little bit, and, and let's say Carl Lawson's play like really takes off and he's let's say it develops into like a top five edge rusher which i think he has the ability to um and let's say that an extension is not reached with lawson this year i don't think the Bengals at that point then if lawson really were to tear it up even with dunlap on a contract in the final year that averaged 13 and a half million at that point i think the Bengals would have no problem then paying lawson a, a higher valued uh, average value contract just because obviously he's he's a younger player and now he has he's he has more um he's shown more obviously hopefully if he has a great year coming up uh he'll have more uh you know evidence that that he's a great player so i don't think the Bengals would then shy away from extending him at a rate higher than dunlap even if dunlap is on the roster for the 2021 season but that's a good point that you made because those are considerations that they'll all have to make and i think they'll they'll be made a year from now yeah, I think ideally you try and work those things out so you, yep. you've got the replacement sitting there. Yep. Um, and, and that's a problem that the Bengals have had in the past. That they, <laughs> that you know they've um, uh, they've <laughs> lost guys a year or so before the the replacement was was going to be ready. And uh, you know at the linebacker position, they for years they didn't have anybody, and and they yep. you know just kept throwing out at Carlos Dansby and Kevin Minter and <laughs> some of these guys and. I mean, and I, you know, Dan, Dan was a great player, but he and I were in college at the same time. You know what I mean? He, was, he, he <laughs> yeah, just wasn't okay. the same thing by, by the time he got to Cincinnati. So, uh, but I mean, he was ridiculous at Auburn though. But oh, uh, so, so on the topic of linebacker, um, there's a pretty interesting um, free agent at linebacker for the Bengals. And that's Nick Vigil. Uh, you know, Vigil's a guy, I, a lot of, a lot of the fan base, I think, likes Vigil, um, and I think, you know, personally, I, I've never been a huge fan. I've always felt he's kind of underachieved from what he what he potentially could be, um, but I felt like as the defense started to come together in the last half of the year, uh, Vigil played a lot better, uh, and he was contributing in some different ways, doing some different things, um, and I mean, honestly, I think Jermaine Pratt next to him versus Preston Brown next to him. I, I think there was a better rapport there. I think everybody was a little bit more on the same page at that point. Um, and, you know, I don't know. I don't think Vigil's lighting the world on fire. But I think, honestly, at this point, if they re-signed Vigil and Pratt continues to improve, I think those two are okay starting linebackers. Not that you don't want to make an improvement, but I think you can survive with that. Um, and I don't necessarily know that there's pressure on you where you're thinking, I got to get one in the draft or I got to get another free agent or anything. Um, you know, what do you think uh, a, a, a contract uh, for vigil to stick around might look like? Yeah. Um, so I agree pretty much with your assessment, although I, I'm probably a little less uh, high, you know, high on, on vigil than, than even you are. Um I don't think he'll break the bank, honestly. He'll be a free agent. The Bengals will probably let him test the market. And, you know, if he gets a good deal, he gets a good deal. More power to him. But if the Bengals are wanting to bring him back, 
you know, I could sense that maybe they want to do a shorter term deal so they're not locked in, even though these contracts really aren't guaranteed if you do a five year deal anyway. But I, I think preferably maybe like a two year eight to $10 million total. So like anywhere between four and 5 million average annual value with about, you know, the guaranteed money in that type of contract is likely just going to be the signing bonus with maybe a modest year one roster bonus. So maybe like, I don't know, 3 million guaranteed of that to throw them a $2 million signing signing bonus or maybe a $2 million roster bonus. So you don't even prorate it and give them a $1 million signing bonus. But um, I I don't think he's going to be that expensive to be honest with you. And, um, you know, the reason is you, you have some pretty high quality uh, free agent linebackers that are scheduled to hit the market. And I think those guys are going to going to command a lot of attention. And then these these middle tier guys or even bottom tier, if you will, like Vigil and uh, and, and some other guys on the market for other teams, they'll, they'll kind of fill in and they'll they'll sign those those smaller, shorter t- term deals. And so I think if the Bengals were to bring him back, um, it'd be probably like maybe you know, the, the first couple days of free agency are always so crazy. I, I could see him being back like the first weekend, like four days after the start of free agency, if not like, maybe a week when he realizes his market maybe is not what he wants it to be. And he comes and takes the Bengals offer if they do offer him something. But I do think if they were to offer him something, it'd be in that range. Um, something to me that shows that they're fine with him, like you said, but they don't want to commit to him, which to me then, if that is going to be the offer, which again is just total conjecture on my part, just reading the tea leaves. The question I have is why don't you just then seriously just want to upgrade the position? I mean, I understand the the positional value of, of, of an off ball linebacker, but the way the game has changed and you saw it last year with the 49ers who made the Super Bowl, and they're, you know, they, they have a staff there uh, that, that runs analytic numbers and, and, and really looks into takes a deep dive into contract values. They, they signed Quan Alexander to a $13.5 million a year deal. Now, there's there are outs in that contract where they can get out of it even as soon as this year without too much dead money. But the, the reason me, say, me saying that is, you know, do the Bengals conti- want to continue to tread water? I, I think the difference here, like if you look at like Bobby Hart, when we talked about last week, Bobby Hart got a lot of flack last year when he signed that extension. But this year, you know, he improved a little bit. He's still not, you know, anything great. But like you said, and we agreed on last year, we can you can survive with Bobby Hart as your right tackle. You know, just with scheme and just his overall play. You know, I guess you you mentioned you could survive with Pratt. I like Pratt. I really like Pratt. I think he's a great future. And I guess you could survive based on what we saw last year. But Vic, Nick Vigil has also been a part of some really horrible defenses. And honestly, he's had, he's had some really horrible games, if we're just totally yes. honest. You know, and and to me, if I'm looking to upgrade, I'm, I want to upgrade. I don't want to keep treading sure. water at the position. Sure. You know, I, I don't want to do what you mentioned, the Carlos Dansby's and the A.J. Hawks, all these guys on a one-year deal. I know that's not the type of player Vigil is because he's younger. Um, but I don't want to keep treading water at the position. I, I, I want to serious upgrade, seriously upgrade it. Oh, because, you, you know, you, you can you can you can tread water all you want. But honestly, is, is Nick Vigil, you know, I, I, I don't even know if he's worth I, I would be so just agnostic if he I, I wouldn't be shocked if he got if he was re-signed to like a two year, eight point eight million dollar deal. It's four point four million dollar average and the Bengals re-signed him. I would just be oh, I'll take know, him for that in a heartbeat. You, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I think the value there, I, I think I disagree with you a little bit. I Really? I, I, it's not breaking the bank, obviously. But again, he's coming off. The production he was giving you was as a rookie. So I, just, I don't know. Just, just just, to be like, you're saying you're saying two-year 8.8 for the contract or, or 8.8 a year? No, no, no. Two-year 8.8 total. So 4.4 4 million a year. 
Yeah, yeah, because that's my thing. If if we're looking at four million, I like, I you know, I got no problem with with drafting somebody else. I got no problem with bringing in somebody else, and if he's a rotational player for right. four million, I can live with that. Uh, <laughs> you can live with it. You can live with it. But the, the way the Bengals generally, I think the Bengals though would view that as okay. That that would they look to upgrade? Like if somebody, if, if Kenneth Murray were there at pick thirty three, would that preclude them from picking him? Absolutely mm. not. But but would exactly. it? But but I think the Bengals though would then justify. They say, oh well, we resigned Vigil, and so we're we're kind of okay. And they wouldn't necessarily look to upgrade. Whereas if you if you sign a guy, and we could talk about these guys, I'm sure we will coming up here, but like mm-hmm. a Corey Littleton or a Joe Schobert or some of these other guys that are likely to be available, um, then you could really say, well, we have upgraded. Yes, it cost us. It's likely going to cost us, but we've certainly upgraded. And we've crossed a position on. Like, you know, we've – although – you know, depending on how highly they they rate, like a Kenneth Murray, if they were to sign like Corey Littleton to a substantial deal, like a Quan Alexander type deal, I don't think that would necessarily eliminate a Kenneth Murray, even with Littleton on a big deal and Jermaine Pratt. I don't think if they rate Murray very highly, I think they'd give serious consideration to signing him. So I guess I the mean, point Pratt is, Pratt was a third round pick. I mean, yep. I, I don't think a, I don't think taking a guy in the third round, you know, limits really? you from taking a guy to replace him. Totally agree. Uh, even, you know, even if, even if you have Littleton in there, and again, there's there's rotational players. There's um, you know, you know, we're talking about it like there's only two linebackers because that's right. what the NFL is. Yep. But at the end of the day, and, and I don't have the numbers on this, I, so I don't know. But but in in my estimation, um, the Bengals probably played more substitution package than anybody because yep. they have an incredible nickel corner who's incredible in run support. Yep. Um, you know, and and that's why, you know, you don't really see them using the will linebacker because they've <laughs> they've they've got that guy. Um, so, you know, that's the other thing. We'll get to that in a minute. But if especially if Dennard is gone, then there's definitely some value to having three good linebackers, and especially if you have like a Kenneth Murray who can who can scoot a little bit, who can you know who can run around. Um, you know, there's some value to that. And, and I guess what I'm what I'm getting at is. You know, I, I I like what you're saying. I don't think I don't think you sign Vigil immediately. Right. I think you probably go out there and you see if you can make an improvement. You know, because Corey Littleton, I bet he doesn't make it 24 hours in free agency. And he won't. He'll he'll be gobbled up very quickly. So, you know, let's go for those guys, and then you have Vigil as the fallback. So, because because here's the thing, I'm I'm with you. I don't want. I don't want us thinking we we we're not going to take Kenneth Murray because we have you know we're we're Patrick Queen or one of those guys because we have somebody, but I also don't want us to say hey Kenneth Murray and Patrick Queen are, are gone, so now I'm going to go ahead and 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 reach on, you know on uh, Troy Die in the second round even though he's, he's not a top fifty player. So yeah, I mean even if they traded down in the second round in like the mid forties, I, I still wouldn't be a fan of uh, of the, the that linebacker from Oregon, and not yeah. in, at that spot, at that spot. Um, that, that would exactly. be exactly, and, and that's all I'm trying to get at is is I think before the draft, you need to figure out a way, with the exception of quarterback, because you hold the number one spot and you're taking Joe Dan Burrow. I think you need to figure yeah, yeah. out a way that if you don't get a any other specific position in the draft, a guy that can play right now, you're fine. You're surviving with it. And so it's it's not like, hey, I'm good with going into the year with Vigil. 
it's I'm good with going to the draft with Vigil, you know, if that's yeah. what it comes to. And and I'd love to make a move on one of those other guys first, but if we have Vigil, then I'm not going to feel pressured like, ah, crap, we got to take Jordan Brooks, you know, we got to take Malik Harrison, you know, when those guys aren't, I don't think those guys are in at 33. You know, I, 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 those guys have some positives, but those guys aren't, you know, aren't, aren't guys who are taking at 33. I don't want to feel that pressure. I want to be able to take, because at 33, a lot of people want to trade down. I'm open to trading down, but Same there's here. probably going to be a dude there. And he's oh. not necessarily going to be at the position you want him to be at. So I want to, I want to be open there to be able to take that guy, that difference maker, wherever he is. I'm in the exact same boat. Even if he's on the offensive, if he's like a receiver, like the kid from Colorado, Absolutely. if he's not, if he's projected not be there and he's there, there's gonna, there's always a guy who drops out of the first round and you have that whole day to think about who we get, who, who are they going to pick? Sure. And, sure. Uh, and I, I want to go into that exactly like you do, Matt, to be able to be in a position to take the best player to help the team, because that's still, it's a late first round pick. It's obviously the top of the second round, but that's a top 35 player. Um, and you know, you need to, that's a player that needs to contribute immediately and, and, but also being like the team's long-term plans, obviously. Um, yeah, I think we just, we disagree a little bit on vigil and that's fine. Obviously it's, I, I, I wouldn't want, I agree with everything you say. I just wouldn't want them to consider, even if they, you know, take a week and okay, vigil's back. Like you said, I don't think they would, they would obviously not prohibit them from drafting these guys, but I don't want them to think, okay, now we definitely don't have to draft them because, they may have some, you know, yes. regardless of what the website puts out with Hobson, I, I like Butch personally, but I don't want them to like pre- present it as, oh, Vigil's back and he has the chance to like develop into something that he's clearly not at this point. He's had four years. Could sure. he get li- incrementally better? Sure. Every player can. Mm-hmm. But he is who he is at this point, right? He's a he's he's a serviceable linebacker who's not a difference maker, who does mm-hmm. have the ability to, to contribute in, in various areas, but... I'd be looking to upgrade, and I'd be looking to seriously upgrade. That's, and, that's, and honestly, I don't even think he was serviceable until like October. Yeah, uh, <laughs> fair enough. But, but uh, so so we already mentioned a few of these names. I think a very popular name, perhaps the most popular name at any position uh, for Bengals fans looking at free agency is Corey Littleton from the Los Angeles Rams. Um, you know, he, he, he's you know likely the top linebacker in free agency. Um, what do you think it would cost them to get that done? Like we said, it's going to be fast. You know, what's it going yep. to take? Yeah. So he'll be, like you mentioned, he'll be, they, they have a two or three day, uh, uh, legal tampering period, but it's funny that all those deals get announced because, um, you know, they, they spill the beans to the agents and the agents tell like the Schefters and the Rappaport's. So it's funny. They, they say it has agreed to terms. Uh, and it's still like the, 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 uh, the, the, the tampering period. Although I guess technically you could agree to terms. You just can't sign anything. So it wouldn't shock me if Littleton is one of those first names off the free agent board, so to speak, but still in that legal tampering period before, uh, the free agency actually starts. So he'll be gone pretty, pretty quickly and he'll have some suitors, but, um, you know, interesting Littleton is actually a former, uh, undrafted player. He was an undrafted player coming out of 2016, I believe. And then last year he was on a, a restricted free agent tender, and he's just balled out. I mean, his, his pro football focus coverage grade is is elite. Uh, he his he I guess he struggles at times against the run, but you know you're not paying him necessarily for that. You know, although I I think maybe some of those concerns could be exaggerated, but you would know better than me just watching this film. 
But I think he'd be a perfect fit for this defense. I think he could come in. He, I think he was a captain last year. You could name him a defensive captain because as much as Carlos and Gino are, are great players, you know, Gino's not a very verbal guy. He's he's more of, of you know lead by example, which is fine. But the Bengals need that that type of vocal defensive leader. And Littleton, when you watch Rams games, has that. He's he's a type of player that other players gravitate towards. And I think the Bengals need that alpha male. And if you can get that, you know, in their defensive huddle, you know, it, it was ideally what perfect was, but then obviously we know those issues. But I think we need that. And I think Corey Littleton could provide that. And you have Jermaine Pratt then under his wings, so to speak. The Bengals get a little bit of that personality in Sean Williams from the safety position. You know, I, I, you see him on the field and, and players respond. But Sean Williams, is, we'll talk about him. His play has, has obviously declined a little bit and he's been dealing with some nagging injuries. But I, I'm a fan of Corey Littleton. I, I think he's going to go quickly, as you said. I think he'll probably best Quan Alexander's deal. Quan Alexander last year signed, you know, everybody thought he'd get paid and then his contract numbers came out. And even though obviously there's the structure of it allows the 49ers to get out of it. It still came out to 13 and a half million dollars a year on average over four years. I can certainly see Corey Littleton getting at least that probably more. So I would say like maybe four years, 56 million, which is right at 14 million a year. But you know, I, I projected Corey Littleton to have to get a four year, $55 million deal that averages out to 13.75 million a year. Uh, that's that beats Quan Alexander's average, but it doesn't quite get him to the 14 year mark, uh, 14 million a year mark. You know, some teams are just they, they're sticklers about reaching those thresholds for, for further seasons yeah. and further player purposes. But he's going to get paid and I, I think he's going to get paid anywhere between 13 and 15 million because, again, nobody saw Quan Alexander because Alexander even was coming off an injury the year prior, I believe, and he still got paid. Um and so Littleton's healthy. He's going to get paid anywhere, again, between $13 million on the low end, um, really 13.5 because that's Quan's number, uh, to $15 It wouldn't surprise me to see him get $15 million, um, just based on the fact that he has elite coverage skills and he's shown over the last two seasons really to be just uh, just a modern a modern day NFL line. Like you mentioned, that the way the game is evolving, he's the type of player that almost every defense needs. Now, ideally, you'd like to get him on a much cheaper contract, a rookie contract, ideally, but you got to pay for talent. The Bengals have an obvious need here. They'd have to pony up because let's say let's 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 assume he gets a four-year, fifty-five million dollar a year deal. That average is thirteen point seven five million, as I said. That beats Quan Alexander. You're probably looking at twenty-five million in guarantees at least. And the Bengals can structure that by giving him a good size bonus, and then using using their typical contract structure, they give him a good size year one roster bonus, and maybe give him a pretty good size year two roster bonus. They don't guarantee base salaries, but they can they can get up there with their what I like to call effective guarantees because they're not going to cut him if they sign him to a big money deal. They're not going to cut him after one year unless something off the field happens, uh, you know, something egregious off the field. It, even sure. if his play is bad, he's going to be around for two years. So if you just look at the two-year cash payout of what a typical four-year, $55 million deal is, that really gets you the guaranteed money. Now, if another team comes over and, and blows him away with with truly guaranteed money in terms of guaranteed base salaries, uh, you know, guaranteed year two roster bonuses, I think obviously he jumps at that. But I think the Bengals can be a player here. I, I I really do. If they want to break their mold, he's a player. Uh, he's not a household name, obviously, but he's becoming a household mega name, at least among Bengal fans. Uh, but I think he projects to be 
you know, a, a very good player. I think over the next three to four years, he projects to to still play, I think, at, a, at an elite level in a position that, to me at least, is becoming increasingly important in football, in professional football. And so I'd have no problem paying him that money. And if they just want to target him, and, and when we mentioned Graham Glasgow last week on the offensive line, I think even by anybody's standards, I think that would be a heck of a free agent haul. But by the Bengals' standards, that would be a phenomenal free agent haul. And they certainly have the ability and the cap space and the cash to pull that off. And just imagine going into the draft with a Corey Littleton and a Graham Glasgow in the bag. And the Bengals have the first pick in each round if they want to, if they don't want to trade down in any of those rounds after round one. I mean, you're sitting pretty. You're sitting as pretty as you can. But it's going to cost them a lot of money. Um, but, you know, it's money that I think is ultimately well spent. And it's it's well spent because you're getting a proven player who's still young. He has those intangibles that I've talked about that I still put some stock in, um, even though they aren't measurables. But, you know, I don't discount that in a game like football. So I'd be a big fan of, of, of Corey Littleton signing. I think he can get probably like a four-year 55 or four-year $56 million deal, something in those line, along, along I mean, those lines. That's, yeah, that's a – that, that's a big one, but but yep. like you said, I mean, I, and I think it's a, it's a position that's been out there for a long time. Yeah, uh, it's been a need. They haven't addressed it. You've got a good thing going with Pratt. I think putting a veteran next to Pratt would would be a huge benefit, and you know, probably, um, you know, really multiply the play of both of them. Yeah, um, you know, the other thing with we talk about position value. And here's what gets me at, at linebacker. All right, so I, I think we tend to think of linebackers as being run run players, and part of that is because of what we've had to endure in Cincinnati with <laughs> with you know slow a gap b gap plugging linebackers uh, yep. over the last few years. Um, and number one, um, you know, I get that the pass game is the most important thing in the NFL. However, in the AFC North where Lamar Jackson is going to be for quite some time, the running, you know, run defense is more important than it is in other divisions. Because you want to win the Super Bowl, you're going to have to get through Baltimore to do it uh, in the AFC North. So there's definitely more value to stopping the run in the AFC North, in my estimation, than in other divisions. The other thing is, like, what do we value on defense? You know, we value pass rushers, and we value guys that can cover. Like you said, Littleton's excellent in coverage, and he has 7.5 sacks in the last two years. Yeah. So he can contribute in both ways. Uh, We saw a good amount. They were sending Vigil up the middle on blitzes. And and when they weren't, a lot of times they they were just lining him up on the line of scrimmage in the A-gap and threatening it. Having a guy like Littleton there – you know, that's going to make more production there and and even, you know, just a, a greater threat even when they're dropping them off into coverage of having that. So, I mean, I think there's tremendous value at the linebacker position when you can do those things. You know, if you're if you're just a run, if you're Preston Brown, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but, you know, in the, in the 90s, Preston Brown <laughs> was going to the Pro Bowl, um, but that's, it, it's not what the position is anymore. Um, but, but, you know, I think... Like we gotta look at you gotta look at what you want more than just the position, and, and and I think what you want and what a guy like Littleton can give you, you know, I I think that's he's he's an exception to the rule if you're looking at it that way. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. I mean, there's a reason. I mean, Preston Brown, I think he signed with Oakland, but I I, I don't know if he's if he got cut. I, there's a reason why those guys are struggling to even stay on rosters anymore. Even like Raymond Lucas is older. Yeah, he signed with an old Bengals coach in, 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 in Oakland where they're, they're signing a bunch of old school guys. You, you know, that right. like, the Gunther connection. You're right. I mean, if those guys are becoming the dinosaurs in the NFL, those – Two two down, not even two down, just the run stopping linebacker, the, the thumpers that you don't see them anymore. There's no, no reason. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you know, a couple of other names, and we'll 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 get through these quick because we gotta get to the DBs. Um, so you know, Joe Schobert uh, mm-hmm. is another name that, that that's uh, popular. Um, uh, Mister K Cincy on uh, on Twitter throughout <laughs> uh, Lake Martinez to me. Yeah. Uh, amongst some other names, but I think that's a, you know, that's an interesting uh, option as well. Um, you know, what type of value um, are we getting for those two, um, yeah. you know, compared to compared to Littleton? Yeah, so I think Littleton is probably the 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 top shelf uh, option, and then Schobert I think is probably you know just a, a tier below him. I, I I think not just a tier. I think he he's considerably below him, but still would add value. And I think Schobert is going to have a market. Um, when free agency does open and, and the player, I, I kind of, the contract I look at uh, for Schobert is kind of like what Jordan Hicks signed Hicks, the former Eagles linebacker, local Cincinnati kid played at um, Lakota, one of the Lakota schools and then went to the university of Texas signed as a free agent linebacker last year in Arizona, but he had been banged up for a couple years um, in, in, in Philadelphia during his rookie season or during his rookie contract years. And so um, he came in obviously well below what Quan Alexander did, but he he had a pretty decent year out in Arizona uh, based on all, all reports. So I can see Schobert, even though Schobert doesn't have the injury concerns, I, I'm just talking about in terms of the tiers of, of what the contracts are likely to look at just on a level of, a level of play perspective. And so if we're, if we're thinking Littleton, let's just say he's at 13 and a half million, right where Quan Alexander was last year at a minimum. You know, Jordan Hicks signed a three, a four-year, thirty-six million dollar deal. That's nine million a year. Um, so I could think Schobert is probably in that area. Four years, not uh, thirty-six million, maybe even four years, forty million. Like the nine, ten, maybe eleven million dollar range. If if a team is really trying to get for Littleton and, and they miss out on him and they just throw their money back to Schobert, that may cause his market to to rise or increase. But I think he'll come in considerably less. And I think maybe the Bengals, uh, at that price point, it may be more palatable to them uh, to do a Jordan Hicks-type deal, especially if you consider a, you know they'd be essentially stealing a player away from, not, you know, you have to pay for him, but taking a player away from a division rival, weakening uh, that that opponent. Um, and, and really, I do like Schobert. I, I do like Schobert's coverage skills, although his overall pro football focus grade is a little concerning. Um, I'm not sure how much stock you put in pro football grades overall, but, um, you know, some some of their stuff is, is, is you know, I, I do put some stock into it um, just as to keep comparables consistent across the board year over year. So I, I, I do... You know, a Schobert signing, I think, would, would represent a significant improvement, a, a very significant improvement over Nick Vigil. I'm sure you would agree. Uh, but would, would it be as exciting as a Corey Littleton? I don't think so. But I, I, I think, you know, at this point, based on the prior Band-Aids that the Bengals have tried to put at the linebacker position uh, as the, in the form of the players we've talked about, Schobert would likely command a multi-year deal. You know, he's not going to sign a one-year deal like those old veteran guys. So, you know, if they signed him, it'd be I, I think it'd be a very good signing by the Bengals. Although, again, if they're going to spend 10 million a year 
for Schobert, uh, to me, I, you know, make that extra effort to spend. Obviously, it's more money for Littleton, but go, go after go after that home run instead of going after that solid double off in the gap, so to speak. Um, although Schobert, I would have no problem with him, and he'll come in likely at a contract, um, at least at a price point that that's that's more uh, in line, I would think, with what the Bengals are comfortable doing. But I, I do anticipate him getting a pretty decent deal. Um, anywhere between nine and eleven million dollars in terms of average annual value. So, I'm going to break that down: four years, thirty-six million; maybe four years, forty million, which gets you the ten million a year. Or at the high end, like four years, uh, forty-four million, which gets you at you know eleven million a year. Um, what are your thoughts on Schobert, though? Just the way he plays. I, I, obviously, I think he'd be a fit here, but um, you would agree with me. I think that he comes in lower than than Littleton, just in terms of ability. Correct. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he, uh, I don't think they have this, he has the same versatility. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I think he, he probably is a touch better against the run. Uh, mm-hmm. But but yeah, I don't think he's he's helping you as much in the pass game uh, or or quite as much in the pass rush uh, either. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I think any of these guys, uh, Schobert, Martinez as well, you know, I, I think they're giving you a little bit more in all those areas than Vigil is. At least, you know, they're, they're, they're at least a plus in, in, in every area. Um, yep. And if we're talking, again, you know, I, I, you know, when you said Vigil $4 million a year, I, I, I don't care about spending $4 million. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and, and, like I'm, I'm cool with Vigil for $4 million if yep. that's what if that's the best we can do. Um, and if we're talking four million more for a Schobert or, or possibly a Martinez, yeah, go for it. You know what I mean? I, I think yeah. eight or nine for those guys, and, and it still, um, in my mind, uh, doesn't doesn't keep you from from taking Patrick Green or Kenneth Murray if they're sitting there. Same here. Uh, or for that, for and we certainly need depth at that spot. Um, you know, with uh, you know Hardy Nickerson. Isn't isn't gonna last another year? I don't think so. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, getting that and getting a, a good solid upgrade, it'd be it'd be great. I think I think Lillardson is the home run. Um, I think that'd be an incredible signing. But I think signing a, a Schobert or or Martinez is a significant improvement for this defense. They're both, you know, all all three of these guys are you know veteran guys. Putting them next to Pratt, um, you know, they've got some skills. They can be moving pieces. Um, you know, and, and can help out in a lot of different ways. So, um, yeah. and, and, that's, mention- and really, you know, looking at what, what the, the Bengals were doing, uh, defensively and, you know, we mentioned with how they were sending visual more blitzes and doing things like, you know, the, we need those guys that can do a lot of different things. Absolutely. And I, I didn't mention Martinez's numbers. I, I think Martinez probably comes in, uh, like you said, probably around the Schobert range, around uh, maybe nine. I don't think he'll approach eight figures, like ten or eleven million a year. But I could see maybe nine being his high water mark, but maybe like a four-year, twenty-eight million dollar deal, something around seven million. But to your point, Matt, it would represent a significant improvement over a visual. Um, but I think a Blake Martinez, I actually wouldn't be surprised. He, you know, Blake Martinez, I wouldn't be shocked if the Bengals sign him. I wouldn't be shocked if he's announced as coming in for the first visit because the Bengals like to – they're kind of like old school in that regard. They like to meet these these guys, bring them in-house before they offer him a deal. Um, and it wouldn't shock me if Blake Martinez taking a visit to, to the Bengals uh, and then, you know, it, I, I would anticipate a contract maybe four years, $28 million, which is $7 million a year, or four years, $30 million, which is seven and a half, something around that range for a Blake Martinez. But we'll see what the market says. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, like we said, between those guys and even Vigil to a lesser extent, like they've got to do something before the draft and not put themselves Absolutely. in a corner where, where they think they have to go linebacker at 33 because that is, that is playing a losing game. It is. You cannot do that. They cannot, you know, just say, oh, we missed out on these guys. And let's say, you know, Vigil signs elsewhere. And, and, and they can't say, well, now we have, no matter what, we got to get that linebacker at 33. You can't. You don't want to. You don't want to build your. You build a box around yourself. You don't box yourself in. I mean, it's just a losing strategy. It's address your needs in free agency, and and there there is demand. I mean, there there is opportunity there, and that opportunity meets the need in the form of of these players that we've been discussing and other players potentially too. All right. So uh, yeah, we're uh, we need to get into the defensive back situation. So uh, first off, um, I'll start with the with the controversy. Uh, <laughs> so we talk we talk about John Ross and John Ross is a popular scapegoat. Um, he's had some problems. He, not the least of which was the fact that he was drafted one pick before Patrick Mahomes, Super yeah. Bowl MVP Patrick Mahomes. Um, but another guy that that I think far too often we love to hate in this fan base is Dre Kirkpatrick. Um, Dre. Didn't have a very good year. Um, I would say previous to this year, he was a top 50 easily corner in the league, which doesn't sound that great, but then you figure that's like top half of of CB2s, um, which is fine. Is <laughs> what I'm trying to get at. Um, but it's not what you want out of a first-round draft pick. You know, so, you know, the first-round draft pick hurts you, and, and obviously – Dre has a has a way of um, his mistakes tend to be catastrophic. <laughs> yes. So, um, so there's been talk of cutting slash trading Dre Kirkpatrick. Um, what would be the financial uh, implications of of making a move uh, and moving on that is from Dre Kirkpatrick? Yeah, so he's got a non-guaranteed base salary this year. So whether he's traded or cut, the the cap savings are going to be the same too um, for the Bengals. So um, he's scheduled to, to cost on the cap next year just over eleven million dollars. Uh, there are some websites that have him at eleven point two five, but part of that calculation is he has per game roster bonuses. Uh, in his contract, and those are actually treated as incentives. And since he only, I think, played six games last year, he missed 10. So he missed 10 per-game roster bonus checks. It actually bumps down his his salary from what's the reported $11.25 million to, to just over $11 million because he is considered not likely to earn those bonuses. But I won't get too technical on that in that regard. So his, his cap hit for next year, if he's on the Bengals, uh, is, is supposed to be 11.093 million, so just over 11 million, not quite 11.1. If he's removed from the roster via trade, we could talk about his value, or just via straight out cut and release, there's all there's going to be 2.8 million dollars in dead money on the cap, uh, and that's just the form of his signing bonus that hasn't uh, amortized yet, uh, that hasn't hit the Bengals cap. And so that'll be $2.8 million. That is dead money that will always be on the Bengals cap if he's off the roster. So if he's on the roster, it's 11.1, let's call it 11.093 million. If he's off the roster, it's 2.8 million. So if he's off, that's the dead money. So if he's Uh off the roster, the total cap savings 
because you have to count in, you have to factor in the, the dead money that still remains on the book, the dead money being 2.8, but they still would realize a cap savings of 8.293 million. So if they cut him or trade him, they're, they're clearing, even with the dead money on the books, they're clearing 8.293 million off the books. So that plus, is, plus they're saving the per game. They're pay, they're saving that. They're saving the salary. They're saving mm. that cash too. So, but you're, you're but you're clearing eight point two nine three million in cap. Uh, even even with the two point eight million in dead money, which is always going to be there if he if he's cut or or his contract is terminated or is he's traded. Um, but there, you know, so is that worth it? You, you know, you, you look. Why would they cut him or trade him? Well, they obviously, think maybe his his pay is not worth it. But as you said, when he's playing, he's He's more than serviceable. I, like he's not a visual by certainly. I think he, he pays the price of having that first round um, pick uh, st- uh, designation. Obviously, the first round pick. So the expectations have always been high for him. But I think at eleven million dollars, that's that's still a very reasonable deal for cornerbacks, especially if he can return to a level that's you know that that's at a fairly high level. Um, that's that's something that the Bengals aren't in a position where they have to cut it. But if it were me, I'd be willing to talk to teams to say, hey, look, his his cap number for you is not going to be that much. For a veteran corner, I know he's on the plus side of 30 now, I believe. But, you know, he's st- he can still play, and the contract is non-guaranteed. So if, if he ultimately flames out, why don't you throw us a fifth or sixth-round pick? You know, I, I I may not do it for a sixth-round pick because I think he could bring value just on the roster. But I would trade Kirkpatrick for, for certainly a fourth, but maybe even a fifth at this point. Just because I think that money, that eight point two nine million that you would realize in cap savings, um, you know, if the Bengals operated kind of like other teams, I think you know you could say, well, they're going to put that money to good use, um, <laughs> maybe targeting like a Littleton or putting it to the Littleton budget or the Glasgow budget or some other other you know good, very good free agent that's available or that becomes available unexpectedly via termination. Um, so I, I wouldn't entertain, I wouldn't entertain just cutting him because I would want to recoup value for, from him. Right. So sure. I would, I would, I would shop him around. I, I would, I would try to get a fifth from, for, from teams for him. And I would pull, pull the trigger on that type of deal. And if nobody bites at that, if some team offers a seventh, I don't want a seventh round pick for, for Dre. I mean, seventh round picks are pretty worthless. And so I'd, I'd rather at that point, even though he's costing you 11 plus million on the cap, I'd rather keep him. But in addition to the to the cap valuation of is he worth it, I think the Bengals were were impressed by what Darius Phillips showed at the end of last season. But is Darius Phillips an outside corner? I think he has the ability, obviously. Um, or do they view him more of like a Denard inside? I, I think Darius Phillips can play on the outside. I really do. And so do they think that Darius Phillips is going to maintain his trajectory that he's on? And obviously, you know, he had that nice game in Buffalo and then he went on IR and then came back and had some nice games at the end of the season. You know, that Miami game was great. Um, I'm a big fan of, of Darius Phillips. And if in OTAs he's looking good and, and the Bengals, you know, don't even get any trade offers for, for, for Kirkpatrick, I can see them parting ways with Dre just based on how they feel about Darius's uh, development. Or if they land a corner, for example, let's say like the kid from LSU, Tristan Fulton, who had kind of a rough national championship game. I think he's going to kill the combine coming up. But let's say he slips out of the first round. Uh, I wouldn't put a pass in the draft a corner uh, at 33. You know, the, Hobson's always said the best defensive player, so we know the value that cornerbacks bring, and you get one on a cheap deal. Somebody that thought was thought to be a first round pick, he's sitting there at 33. So if if he's there, and then the Bengals draft him or a similar player, then I think Kirkpatrick may get cut. But you know, the Bengals 
they're not in dire cap need to create cap space. So I don't think they're just going to cut him right at the beginning of the of the new year in, in March coming up next month because they don't need the cap space. Um, yeah. If they operated like some other teams, maybe they would do that and then target other free agents. But I can see a situation where Dre – I can see a lot of situations. I could see them trading him for like a mid-round pick. I could see them keeping him and then depending on Phillips's – how he looks in OTAs and depending on how the draft shakes out, if they get a pretty highly rated quarter corner in like rounds two or three, then I could see them parting ways with Dre at that point. Or let's say in, in training camp a team, you know, an injury opens up elsewhere and a team wants mm-hmm. – a corner and they can do that route. I think, you know, they're, they're sitting in the driver's seat with Trey or at the end, like you mentioned, Matt, just keep him around. If they, if they feel that, okay, he's, he's showing well in OTAs and, you know, Dre, he likes being in Cincinnati by all accounts. And, um, he's been a contributor in the past and we know how the Bengals like to honor these contracts. So I can see a whole host of possibilities. I know uh, it's not a definitive answer with regard to him, but it's just because that's the way it is here. They have so many options with Drake Kirkpatrick. They could trade him for a mid-round pick. They could keep him around. They could just flat out cut him if they wanted to. Although yeah. I think, like I said before, if they if they do go that route, I think it's going to be like after OTAs, after, after the draft, really. Yeah, and I think the training camp route, it makes the most sense because then you, you know, again, there's an injury perhaps yep. on some other team that opens up an opportunity. Um, yep. And then maybe you feel more comfortable about uh, Darius Phillips. I'm, I'm, I just have trouble trusting Darius Phillips. Um, and I wouldn't want to go into the camp with Darius Phillips as the definitive plan. I would want to have somebody else there and somebody else is going to cost some money. So yep. at the end of the day, how much are we really gaining on getting rid of Trey if we have to spend a little bit of money to, to get it, uh, you know, an experienced veteran there? Um, right. So that's my. But the only problem is, at, in, in August, the cap money that you're, you know, the the money you're freeing up from getting rid of Trey doesn't yep. do you a whole lot of good because there's not much out there to do, uh, unless there's a complimentary move and you're somehow trading for somebody else, which would be incredible and mind-boggling and in no way yeah, something right. the Bengals ever do um you know like a you know like the Trent Williams situation last year if they traded yeah. Kirkpatrick yeah. to open up money so they could bring in a tackle like that it'd be like there you go I I think all of our heads would explode we wouldn't we'd be <laughs> like wait a minute what who did that yeah uh, but yep. um yeah so uh on that note and you mentioned Dennard so Dennard Signed a one-year deal last year after he tested the market and did not get what he wanted. Uh, injured at the beginning of the year. Definitely looked great at the end of the year. Um, you know, do we think he tests the market again? Do we think they give him, you know, a, a, a long-term deal? What do we think is going to happen with uh, with Dennard? Yeah, I, I liked uh, Dennard. Um, I liked him coming out of Michigan State and. He, he played well last year when he was in. I mean, he's he's he. I, I like him in the slot. He's he's a he's a good slot corner and like yeah, he's the man there. You know, he, he, yeah, even even in the run game, he doesn't shy away from that. And you could tell that all the way watching him play at Michigan State. Mm-hmm. He never mind. He never mind sticking his head in there and run support, which is another good quality to have. But obviously, in the slot, you you want coverage skills, and 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 Dennard has them. Uh, Quez has those, and 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 he's I think twenty eight now. Uh, he's about to turn twenty nine. Um, but he can still play, you know, he keeps his body shape. He, you know, I don't think he's quite at the level that Leon Hall was towards the latter stage of his, his stages of Hall's career, but Dennard is, is, is good. He's a good player. And so I think he's going to want to test the market again to see what, 
Uh, it was or what it is. I mean, he, he dipped his toes in last year or actually dove in and, you know, the water was too cold. He had to get out, uh, so to speak. And it wasn't what he thought it would be. And he came effectively crawling back to the Bengals offer, essentially. Um, but it was worth it. It provided a lot of value. And, and he got five million dollars in his pocket, which probably wasn't what he anticipated. But, you know, he performed well. He probably overperformed, definitely overperformed because the value that he brought is is more than that at, at that position. Uh, I, I think if he were to test the market again, he probably want to match or come close to matching um, a player by the, you know Justin Coleman, for example, the the corner from Detroit, who the nickel sure. corner, who yep. signed as a free agent last year with Alliance from Seattle, and that was a four year, thirty six million dollar deal with about twenty million guaranteed. So it's nine million per year if it's thirty six over four. Um, I think Denard and his camp, or Denner, however you want to stress his last name, it. He probably is looking at that as a benchmark uh, because he probably considers himself uh, an equal player to Justin Coleman. Coleman's a good player, um, and I'm not sure where their grades are in pro football focus. Not that that's everything, but again, I, I put stock in it. So I think that's what he's, he's going to target or maybe even like four years, $40 million, that $10 million a year mark. Um, honestly, I think the Bengals would be comfortable paying him a multi-year deal, doing a multi-year deal with him, and probably at a higher salary than what he was making this year. I could see the Bengals doing like a three-year, $25 million deal. You know, that's eight and, and $8.33 million average. Um, I could see them being comfortable with that. Um, but I don't see them because of, I think, how highly they they regard uh, William Jackson. We'll talk about him. Um you know, they're, they're going to be up against it. You know, Jackson's kind of dipped a little bit in his play, but if he regains his form, you know, they're going to be spending some coin on that DB room coming up. And um, and so that's a consideration I think they'll make. But I think they would be comfortable doing a deal that averages between 8 and $9 million a year on like a three- or four-year deal. Now, at this point, though, three or four years, you're pushing into your younger 30s for Denard. And so there's a risk there, although, of course, these aren't guaranteed contracts, so you can get out of it if, if the – play just totally falls off after a year or two um but i think that type of justin coleman type of deal like a nine uh a four-year 36 million dollar deal at nine million a year with about half of that uh guaranteed or maybe a little bit more than half guaranteed because he's taking a shorter term deal i think both sides can can agree to that uh but i think he's going to test the market and you just never know and especially with corners at these premium positions, you get one team that falls in love with you and just thinks they got to have this guy and they're going to throw sure. some money at him. And then it, it just, it screws up, not screws up depending on your perspective, but it, it, it resets the market and it totally re- reshapes it. Um, but I think he's going to be looking to get paid more than he got paid this year because he played, he, he earned it. He earned it. Uh, there's still, of course, his in, nagging injury histories a little bit with, with him, but you know, he's, he's, he's a football player's football player. He, he likes, you can tell Quez loves playing ball, and you want guys like that in your locker room. I mean, he's a football player, and and he adds value to your team at a very important position. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, he, and he's a special guy for what he's able to do in the run game. And I yep. think there's situations where maybe you want a Phillips in there when you're when you're playing against uh, you know some some smaller slots and trying to do some man man coverage things like that. But um, you know, like I talked about when we talked about linebackers, um, you know. I don't think that you really utilize an outside linebacker very much uh, when you have uh, Denner uh, on your roster because yep. you know it's it's a it's a downgrade of the position. Uh, so even you know even in the bigger uh, personnel groupings, um, you don't necessarily 
take him off the field or, or bump him on and take somebody else off the field. So um, now, now you touched on it already, but uh, William Jackson, you know, possibility of an extension this off season. Um, you know, he was a guy that, that shut down Antonio Brown for two games, um, you know, in his de facto rookie year after he missed his entire rookie year and true right. Bengals uh, fashion. Um <laughs> But, you know, it certainly had some ups and downs. I think, we, we, you know, we expect him to be a top corner, uh, but he hasn't really solidified himself as that. Um, so, you know, is, is this you know, the type of situation where you, you want to lock him up in case somebody falls in love with him? Uh, or is he going to see himself too high and be, and be wanting a ton? You know, what do we think an extension for uh, Jackson might look like? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I... So he's on his fifth-year option this year. It's his fifth-year option. It's going to be fully guaranteed for everything coming up on March 18th year. The first day of the league year, it's guaranteed. It's a full. It becomes a fully guaranteed 9.75 million. So that's really that. How agents and 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 the front office will view it. That's really his starting point from you know like a, a signing bonus. Like he's already going to be guaranteed that money. So any extension talk at minimum is going to have to pay him that much money uh, this year at least, of course. Because that's what he's scheduled to earn. So I, I think the Bengals, uh, you know, if this were the William Jackson, you mentioned his de facto rookie year was actually the year after he was drafted, so it was 2017. And if it were after 20, even you know, after last year, uh, the year prior, meaning 2018, which would have been his first year of eligibility to be extended, because it would have been after his third year, even though he didn't play year one because of that that shoulder injury. But um, I think the Bengals would have been in a better position to extend him at that point. Like the very first chance he was, he was playing very well. Those the, for 2017 and 2018, it would have cost him about probably 15 million a year, but you know, now you're at a, you know, you're paying a corner 15 million a year and that's going to look very like a very favorable deal coming up in, in, in over the next couple of seasons, because you got guys like Byron Jones for the Cowboys who are likely to get, paid handsomely on the open market and probably reset the corner market, which really is due for a reset um, here coming up because the, the the money has kind of stayed stagnant a little bit. Um, the, the highest paid player at the corner position is Xavier Howard, just on a yearly average. And I think he's just over seven, 15 million, uh, just over 15 million on five years with the Dolphins. I don't know if the Bengals would be comfortable doing that with Jackson at this point, only because of his struggles this past year. Um, there were some reports too by Paul Daner talking about like Jackson being disinterested at times. I don't know about that, but it, it certainly looked like it. I mean, I, I, I can't speak to it. Obviously that's Paul can't cause he's in the locker room, but um, it, it didn't look like that. His play obviously fell off a little bit. So that would cause me to hit the pause button a little bit. If I'm looking, looking to extend him, if, if I'm the Bengals. So if it's me, I honestly let it play out. I mean, he, you want to lock him up at a reasonable rate, but uh, you know if you throw a lot of money at him and he, let's say he continues like this downward progression, surprisingly, then now you you've thrown a lot of upfront money at him, and now you're just hoping he regains his form. I think he will regain that form, but I want I want to see it play out a little bit. And you can also franchise. Let's say he balls out next year and he's playing under the fifth year option. He's not extended, and the Bengals can't afford to lose him. You would just tag him again next year. Obviously, that would be fairly expensive because the tag this year is just under 16.5 for corners. So next year it's going to go up to maybe 18, but 17.5 maybe. So you're you're paying them a lot, but um, yeah, I, I can see them letting it play out because of of the the downturn his uh, of the 29 season, uh, 2019 season. 
Um, but so I, I'd actually, you know, put it at less than 50% that he gets extended. I wouldn't be surprised if he does. Um, I think that one reason the Bengals would extend it is because maybe the corner market is still kind of undervalued a little bit. I mean, there's still guys making a lot of money, but if you look at the jump that like defensive tackles uh, salaries have taken with the likes of Aaron Donald and all these guys and even Gino and even the edge rushers, those, those, those numbers go up continually. So the Bengals may be thinking, Hey, let's get him on a deal now, a long-term deal while these cornerback rates, so to speak, the market rates are favorable. And then will be even more favorable as the market is reset in years uh, coming up. So I think that may propel the Bengals to, to explore and they'll certainly explore, but to maybe push for an extension this year, but they may be, you know, they may want to shy away from it as well. But again, if, if Jackson balls out, it's going to get more expensive because the market is likely to be reset, in which case the Bengals, you know, you may be reaching territory the Bengals are not comfortable paying. And then you're looking at a franchise tag possibility next year. And you know how guys don't like playing under the tag. So in order to avoid all of that, the Bengals may want to get a deal done now. But, you know, Jackson is probably not going to want to sign a deal for anything less than $15 million a year. So... You know, you're already talking what 15 million a year over five is is what uh, 65 million. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I could see them doing a deal with that. Yeah. And, you know, and I think with the with a new uh, corners coach coming in, Stephen Jackson, uh, you know, maybe yeah. give give him a little bit of time to work with him, and um, you know, I think it might make sense to to pump the brakes on it a little bit. Uh, yeah. As much as as I like Jackson, uh, just it, it he's hard to trust right now. Yeah. Um. So when you're looking at a, at a deal like that, I mean, yeah, yeah, that, that that's tough. Uh, so yeah. definitely, there's there's some potential for a lot of changes uh, at the at the corner position with you know with the three guys we mentioned. Um, you know, Darius Phillips, I think, will be an answer, um, but probably can't be. You know, the, the, there's going to be some other things going on there. Um, and so, yeah, it'll be, be interesting to see what happens. Now, I think at safety, uh, the Bengals are in pretty good shape with, you know, their primary two. Um, Bates, bit of a sophomore slump. Yeah. Uh, Sean Williams, you mentioned, uh, had a bit of a drop off. I, I felt he did better in the in the uh, the tail end of the year, uh, but but you know definitely wasn't great at the beginning half. Um, you know, but those are guys that I you know I I would definitely be interested um, if uh, if Delpit McKinney uh, or yeah. Winfield were available at thirty three. All three of those guys have my interest at thirty three. Um, as potential upgrades, uh, but you know those guys are those guys are here. Um, you know they're they're signed, and uh, obviously Bates is. Um, uh, you know, you know Bates had a number number of uh, interceptions in his rookie season. You know, we're gonna have to kind of look at getting him, uh, building the defense a little bit more around him, and and keeping him in, in situations that I think he's comfortable with, uh, more in the future to make the most out of him. Um, but the depth. Uh, at that position, as well as our special teams, uh, could potentially take a big hit this year. Uh, as Clayton Fedulum, um, all the names I probably pronounced wrong today, I'm going to get that one right. Uh, and Brandon <laughs> Wilson, uh, both uh, 
uh, potential free agents this year. Um, and, you know, both and, and Vegelum, I think we've, we've known uh, he's the personal protector. I think the personal protector um, tends to be the guy that people know on special teams units. Uh, so, um, you know, and he's done a good job in, in a variety of roles. Uh, Brandon Wilson really came on this year. Obviously, there was the kickoff return, um, but he's also stepped up in coverage roles, particularly on the punt team. Um, Cody Core is not a very popular name in this fan base, but I was nervous uh, because Cody Core was very good covering punts. Uh, and Brandon Wilson, along with Tony McCray, uh, and some other guys, you know, really filled in that role and did an excellent job on the special teams. You know, credit to Darren Simmons that he, he always seems to find yeah. these guys that we don't necessarily love on offense or defense, but who can get it done on special teams. Absolutely. Um, so, Fedulum and Wilson, uh, you know, what what type of situation we're we looking at uh, for those guys uh, to resign? Yeah, I, I love Fedge. Um, you know, Fedge, perfect. Core special teams players, you nailed the head. And even he has the ability, remember the fumble return he had for a touchdown. I think he caused that fumble, the opener in 2018, Marvin's last year in Indianapolis. I think he caused that. I know he scooped it, obviously, and scored, but he may have caused it as well. But, you know, yeah, so I think he, both could be at least role players on the defense. Um, exactly and I right. wouldn't mind seeing more, more Brandon Wilson. Uh, you know, I think you saw a little bit of him getting some action in the box, yep. like they have, uh, you know, Wilson playing quite, in the, in, uh, quite a bit in the box last year. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I definitely think both can can contribute on the defensive side of the ball. Right. I, so like spot starts or just, you know, a guy goes, to, he's banged up and he needs to head to the locker room for the last two series of the half. You put Fedge in there or Wilson, obviously they play different safety positions, but they, they can they can contribute in, in addition to their special teams uh, dominance. Uh, but but the reason you want to sign Fedge, and I'd be in favor of re-signing him, is is because of his special teams prowess. I mean, he's he's a guy that could carve out like a you know, God willing, he stays healthy. But like a, I'm not saying at this hall of fa- potential hall of fame level, like a Matthew Slater type of uh, career for Fedge. You know, keep his body right and just you know have 10, 15 year career in the NFL, killing it on special teams. Um, those guys are always valuable. And, uh, you know, guys that know their role and then do it well and accept their role and, and, and do it to their best of their ability. And that's that's the type of player that, you know, not like you mentioned last week, you're not going to have 22 all pros out there at every position. But even in special teams, you're not going to have truly elite players. But I would consider Fedge a, a truly great special teams player. But you need the role players. You need the guys like Fedge who, who take – who take that willingly upon themselves to to embrace their special teams role. So I think you're looking at like a modest deal for him, like a two or three year contract, probably less than 10 million total. So I could, I could see like a three year, $9 million deal for him, which is $3 million per obviously. Much, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Unless you see some team like really see him as an everyday, not every day is on baseball, but like, you know, an every down safety, um, that can play defense, then, then you're then you're getting into more money there in terms of average and in terms of total gross value of the contract, just because you have to get in line with the safety positions. But I think teams will view him like the Bengals as uh, you know a core special teams player, but he really probably has it best here in Cincinnati. And I think the Bengals don't have any issue paying those types of players uh, what they're worth, a core special teams players, and and those types of contracts. Uh, are in that two to three million dollar a year range, something very manageable, and I'd be all in favor of re-signing Fedge to like a three-year, um, nine million or ten million dollar total uh, contract, which you know very palatable on a yearly average basis, and he certainly brings the value there because of his dominance on special teams, like you mentioned. 
With Brandon Wilson, Wilson is actually a restricted free agent. So he's not unrestricted. He can become unrestricted if the Bengals don't extend a tender to him, but that's that's not going to happen. They will tender him. Uh, the question is, what what tender will they place on him? You, you have a couple options in, in, in re, with regard to restricted free agents. You can place a first round tender, which um, which is the highest value. That's going to be about four point six million this year, according to over the cap. But we'll know those numbers officially when the salary cap is officially set. Um, that would mean that you place a tender on him. He signs it. If he signs with another team um, and the Bengals don't match, the Bengals get a first round pick. The Bengals aren't going to put a first round tender on him. Um, and no team is going to give up a first round pick for him. Uh, no team. You also have then a second round pick, an original round tender, and then just what's called the right of first refusal tender. Um, so the original round tender is, is just over 2 million and Wilson was a sixth round pick. So if they lose him, uh, they would get a six-round pick in return. I think some team may may be willing to to, to lose a six-round pick for him. So for that reason, I think the Bengals likely place, very likely place actually, almost guaranteed, they're going to place a second-round tender on Brandon Wilson. And um, that comes in, according to over the Caps projections, at just over $3.2 million on a one-year deal. And I think he signs that and, and maybe looks for other offers. But again, no team is going to give up a second-round pick for Will, Wilson, even though I think he's a, he's a good player for what he does. But I think that guarantees his services for at least a year. And then I suspect, just like Fedge, you know, Fedge is unrestricted, so you can't put the, the restricted tenders don't apply to him, obviously. Um, but just like I want Fedge back on a modest you know, two- or three-year deal, I want Brandon Wilson back. I, want, I, I think the Bengals will extend that second-round tender at just over $3.2 million, and then it wouldn't shock me if they do what they did with Alex Erickson on the other side of the ball a couple years ago, extend him to a modest two- or three-year extension at a very favorable, we're talking less than $5 million APY, uh, contract. So like two years, 10 million, or maybe two years or three years, uh, 15 million at the high end, just because like you mentioned, Wilson probably has more defensive ability than, than, than Fedge does at this point. But obviously then you factor in his return ability on special teams and, uh, and, and that's phenomenal. Although you do have to account for the fact that, I mean, is the kickoff going to go away? I mean, it's not in the XFL, obviously we don't know how many other rules are going to try to adopt, but and you see, you hear the rumblings of whether or not the NFL wants to do away with the kickoff. So if they do, you know, Wilson's value decreases there a little bit. Sure. Um, and, you know, he's not a punt returner. You got Erickson, who I'm not a fan of as a punt returner anymore, but obviously now you have Darius Phillips, who I think is, is in line to, to take the reins there. Um, so his value, depending on the nature of the kickoff, which we really don't know, his value may decrease a little bit. Although I do think he's not just... Um, kind of pigeonholed as being a, a, an elite returner, even though he is, he can do more things than that. So bottom line, I think they'll extend him the second round restricted free agent tender since he's an RFA, not a, not an unrestricted guy. And then I think they do look to, to secure his services beyond that one year of the restricted free agent tender. I think they, they'd like to do it um, that way just because, you know, it, it avoids him becoming an unrestricted free agent the following year and potentially losing him. And you lock up a good young player like that on a very reasonable, incredibly reasonable deal. Yeah, you know, both those guys are, are are great players to have around. And I think that solidifies the position in a different way. If you can sign yep. those two, you're okay at safety. Um, and and you've got you've got four four at least good ones. You know, like I said, I, I think that they should be interested. Uh, at 33, if, if one of the three guys I mentioned were there, 
I think they should all be in play for that spot. Um, I don't love the draft for safeties, um, and I and I hate using those terms, but I don't <laughs> I don't know if past that you're going to get a guy who's going to push, um, you know, for a, a starting role. But I, you know, I think there are are people that might be similar uh, to Fedge and, and Wilson who can who can play a variety of roles, be special teamers. Uh, right. Antoine Brooks is a guy that comes to mind. So. Um, so yeah, no, I'm I'm with you 100 percent on that, and, and and so you know solidifying some depth at that position when you have some uncertainty at the corner position over the next couple of years right. uh, would would definitely be you know be nice to have at least part of that yeah. to feel short. Of. I yeah, I agree. I, I I do think though, and maybe I'm in the minority. I think I'm in the minority among Bengals fans, and, and probably even with regard to your perspective in this. I I do think that re-signing both Fedge and whether they just do the tender to Wilson and not re-sign him, or do the tender and then also re-sign him, obviously that solidifies the depth there in, in mm-hmm. a needed way. But I think obviously with their status, obviously they're unsigned for next year. Sean Williams, my concerns about him, as I mentioned before, is dip and play. Um, he's only signed through this year. He's an unrestricted free agent next year. So I, I, and, and Jesse Bates, who I'm very high on, even though he, like you mentioned, rightfully, he, he had a sophomore slump a little bit. I think safety is, is an underrated need for this team. I, I honestly, I, some people may not, may feel differently. I wouldn't be surprised if the Bengals target a guy, a veteran guy who may get cut from a team. I, I don't have any names off the top of my head, but you always see safeties get cut. But mm-hmm. I wouldn't be shocked if the Bengals try to upgrade at the position. Maybe not substantially. I do think they sure. want to get both Fedge and Wilson back. But if you look long term, I would look to upgrade. I would look to honestly cut Sean Williams. I like the guy. The guy is an absolute warrior. He's given his all. I've liked him since his days at Georgia. Great player, but I think Sean Williams' best days are behind him. They would clear just over four million in cap. I wouldn't be totally shocked to see a Sean Williams cut, although I could totally see him just playing out the final year of his deal as well. But even if that happens, and even if they re-sign Fedge and Wilson here, you know Williams is done after this year. They're not going to re-sign him again, even if he plays yeah. out this final year. So I think safety is a concern. You mentioned those college guys, even though you're not that high on the safety class and whole. You mentioned those two guys, you know the McKinney kid from Alabama. You know, certainly if he's there at 33, I think consideration is going to be given. But I think the I, I'm just in the minority. I think the Bengals can upgrade that position. I, I'm not comfortable with these. I mean, I want these guys back. And I sure. think, like you said, it solidifies the depth in the back end of that room. But I think they need to start thinking, hey, what are our long term plans here? Jesse Bates looks like, like we mentioned, he struggled a little bit last year. But I think long term, he's he is a solution. Uh but there's yeah, they, they, they need to get him on the right page, I think, because he, he has a special ability to. You know, to pick off balls. I, I think yeah. they had some miscommunications defensively. He, there were some times when it didn't look like they knew what they were what they were doing between him and and and, and the corners. Uh, honestly, and yeah, um, he had to jump on a lot of uh, of uh, of dig routes and leaving posts. And I mean, there were some funky things going on there. So, right. um, you know, and, and he's a young guy who came in. Learned a defense and then had to go turn around and learn another defense, um, and and as a you know positionally, um, just like the quarterback kind of defaults to a leadership role, you know free safety where you're at in the secondary, you're kind of the guy that has to talk to the rest of the secondary too. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot might have been on him mentally. Um, not that he can't handle it, I think, you know, but just I think there's probably a lot on him. So. I'm, yeah. I'm 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 looking for a bounce back from him. I'm expecting a bounce back. Um, I'd like to see them keep him out of the box 
because uh, I don't think he does well there. Uh, yeah. That's not using his strengths. But, um, but you know, the other thing, interesting thing about the safety position is is Drake or Patrick. Uh, excuse me, I, I keep doing this. It's like the third time I've done that tonight. Uh, Dannard <laughs> uh, yep. is, is, is an interesting thing about the safety position because if Dannard leaves, um, does that create a situation where you're playing with three safeties more? And and maybe Wilson ends yeah. up being almost a nickel type player. Maybe Fedge ends up, you know, rocking down, the, you know, in the box a little bit more right next to Sean Williams uh, right. and some of those substitutions packages. So, you know, those guys could become more valuable uh, because we don't know, you know, whether they whether they sign a replacement for Dennard, uh, use Phillips, try and roll with BK Webb, you know, like right. Right. whoever they bring in there isn't isn't going to be dentered um and he's not going to be able to do all the same things uh and phillips is a great example phillips is not going to be dentered against the run game nope. so if it's if it's phillips um you know then maybe there's a nickel package and then there's a you know there's a big nickel package where it's wilson or fed or somebody like that in there right. um they can you know, play yeah, I agree with you. They, they did go three safety looks uh, occasionally last year. But I think to your point, if they do do that, not only does it increase the value uh, on the other side of that coin is then it increases the need to really amplify that room because now you're oh, playing absolutely. three. A guy pulls a hammy, a guy gets a knee mm-hmm. or an ankle turned. Uh, he's got to miss some time, maybe several weeks. You got to make sure that that room is is adequately stocked. And you got guys currently like Trayvon Henderson who had a nice preseason a couple of seasons ago. I think he does have some potential as well. That's a developmental guy. But to your point, they're going to have to address this at some point, whether it's free agency, whether it's a cap casualty signing, um, like an Eric Weddle back in the day who's now retired, obviously. But, um, you know, a guy like that who's a cap cut, a veteran guy who can come in and solidify and maybe you put push him inside a nickel corner with a three safety package. But if that's the if that's the route that they go, depending on what with what happens with the Dennard, as you mentioned, then it just increases the need to to really solidify that room because you're going to need those bodies in there. Absolutely. Well, shockingly, um, I think we've actually talked longer about defense than we talked about offense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, we're gonna uh, we'll we'll wrap this up. But uh, real quick, gotta ask you. Uh, obviously, the big the big news of the offseason is Joe Burrow. Uh, what is your Joe Burrow comp? Ah, you're, you're putting me on the spot here, Matt. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is the big I news, even you. obviously with all this this nonsense. And it is nonsense about, you know, him not wanting to, to play or him. He hasn't denied, he, you know, he hasn't said he doesn't want to play in Cincinnati. I mean, it's all nonsense. Burrow's going to be the pick. He's, he's going to be a Bengal. I think he's, he has no problem with it, too. I think he's actually going to fully embrace it here. And he's going to be adored by the fan base. And, and he's a national enough name that I think you're going to – he's going to, by default, attract, he's going to cause a lot more people to be fans of the Bengals, which is just good because he's a, he's a very popular college player. Obviously, the Heisman yeah. winner. And so he's going to cause a lot of just like avid college football fans or Joe Burrow fans to just say, hey, I'm going to check out the Bengals game to see what Burrow's doing. But you asked me for comps. So that's me. You, and this is the reason why we went longer, because as a lawyer, I, I bill by the hour. So I like talking. <laughs> uh, so I, I won't send you a bill of that. But uh, so you're safe there. Um, so that's all my fault that we went over. But uh, I'm just buying myself some time here because he put me on the spot. But I do I, what I when I watch Joe Burrow play, and I mentioned this last week, I get incredibly excited. The guy, obviously, he's a little older. He's 23. He'll turn 24 at the end of his rookie season in December. 
But I think with that shows that, you know, he's he's so mature. Like he, he's, he's a player that really nothing confuses him at the college level. Obviously, that's going to change a little bit. Defenses in the NFL level are, are, are much more complex, obviously, and there are even different rules there. And, and even the different positionings of the hash and, and the hash marks, as you know, that plays into a, a certain aspect. But I see a very cerebral player. What I'm getting at is I see, in addition to his obvious talent, even though he doesn't have the greatest arm, you know, he's he got great decision-making, great accuracy, and he's just very cerebral in terms of his processing. And I think either Dan Orlovsky or... Um, Bucky Brooks or, or uh, J- Daniel Jeremiah mentioned his processing reminds him a lot of Tom Brady. And honestly, the guy's about 6'4", 215. You know, he's not like 6'4 and 230 like a Carson Palmer was. You know, like he filled his body out. I'm not saying Joe Burrow is lean at all, but he has the body type. People say of Jeff, uh, of Jared Goff, but I see, I'm not saying he's Tom Brady. But I see Brady aspects to his game, his mental processing, his ability to deliver with anticipation, his deliver, his ability to deliver just like an immaculately placed ball. I think his second touchdown pass to the national championship game where it was just a 20 yard go route uh, from the 20 yard line. He just he took the snap, obviously, in shotgun and just lofted it. He couldn't have walked up to his receiver and placed it in his lap any better than where the ball was thrown. And the ball traveled about 30 yards or maybe 25 yards in the air. Just a perfect touch pass that passes that I see like Tom Brady make. And then you factor in his mental processing and then it's just like his body build. If you just look at his body, I know that that's not a good comp, it's not a good basis for a comp, but I see a lot of Tom Brady. And I also see, I, I agree with a lot of the other comps of like a Tony Romo. I see that in terms of his ability to, to extend a play. But in that regard, it actually reminds me a little bit more, not obviously from the body type that like you mentioned for Tom Brady, but like a Russell Wilson. A guy who just has an uncanny ability to go off script and the play's dying down. I mean, you saw it in the SEC championship game with that just incredible play where he avoided like three sacks and then went to the sideline and and tossed the throw down the field. So there's a little bit of Russell Wilson to his game in that respect. The ability to go off off script and to still place an immaculate pass. Um, you know, I don't think he's like an Aaron Rodgers because he doesn't have that rocket arm strength, but you don't need a rocket arm. You don't, you know, as you know, Matt, you don't need the strongest arm to play quarterback. You know, strong arm certainly helps, but that's, it's not, to me, it's not dispositive of whether or not somebody's going to have a great career at the NFL level at that position. So to me, I'm not saying he is these guys, but if you just put me on the spot for a comp, I don't know, let's, let's say the love child between Tom Brady and Russell Wilson. How does that sound? Uh a bit disturbing, but but very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on, 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 a, on a technical level, it's disturbing. But I, I, when I see him play, I, I, I get excited. Obviously, as a fan, but just I try to stay objective in analyzing his film. And, and you do a better job, obviously, than most people in that regard. And you can speak more eloquently than I can. I, I see a player who has all pro potential. I really do. I mean, he's he's got everything you would want in a quarterback. Yeah, you know, and I and I think. We've had time. We've had a lot of time to beat it up. And, and look, everybody's got flaws. You know, it's yeah. about fatal flaws and it's about, you know, what you can live with. I think his arm strength thing has been exaggerated uh, okay. to a bit. And, you know, I, I think that uh, of the top quarterbacks in this class, he probably has the weakest arm, but that doesn't mean he has a weak arm. Um, True. True. That's a good and, point. And I think, uh, you know, we, we, you know, the thing that stood out to me and, and why I had some concerns about his, uh, his armor away was that 
he was constantly throwing back shoulder throws uh, and in situations where I didn't think he needed to, um, where I think I thought he could have led the guy. And then he goes out in the national championship game. And I don't think he threw a back shoulder throw the whole game. (laughs) He's easy. (laughs) And it gets, you know, so, I mean, really to me, the guy is a chameleon. I mean, he can, you know, um, one thing about Patrick Mahomes and, and I'm not making this camp or anything, but so in the Super Bowl, the 49ers were able to limit what Patrick Mahomes wanted to do and what how Patrick Mahomes wins by staying on top of the deep ball and keeping him in the pocket and hitting him yep. for, you know, two and a half quarters of that game. Yep. Um, and Patrick Mahomes is a tough dude, and he took it, and he's mentally tough, and he came back, and, and, and he made, you know, uh, some big time throws and, yeah. and did some things at the end of that game, but he did it on his terms. Um, Burrow is a guy that you take away, um, you know, early in the season, um, he would everything was about timing with him. You know, it was it, it was it was very Tom Brady. It was very Drew Brees. It was all timing based. Get it off real real yep. quick throws, um, and he was highly efficient in doing that. Um, and then teams started right at the Auburn game. They started rushing three and, and letting him, you know, and, and playing coverage and, and letting him uh, uh, have more time. And he, he took the time and he, yeah. <laughs> he won that way. Uh, and, you know, and, 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 you know, he can scramble and he can make plays that way. Um, you know, you, you saw in the championship game, you know, from a completion percentage standpoint, he had one of his worst games. Right. Um he was throwing more deep balls, you know, <laughs> he was so, like, yep. so he can win in a lot of different ways. And that's like, Mahomes didn't make that particular adjustment. Mahomes just, you know, Mahomes was, was tough and was able to, to get back to what he was able to. Cause you know, the 49ers couldn't, couldn't stop him for four quarters. Um, right. So I think that's, what's interesting about Burrow is, is you, you stop him and you just become something else. Um, you know, he's uh, so my, my count for Joe Burrow is uh the, uh, the the liquid metal Terminator from Terminator 2. That, you know, <laughs> okay. There you <laughs> go. Just, I like he, it. He just, he just adapts to the situation. But, um, like all it. right. So thank you very much, uh, Andre, for joining me uh, and everybody else. Um, I I think my voice was okay at the beginning, but, but I apologize for how terrible my voice probably sounded over the last hour and a half. Um, I, uh, I, I am the... Uh, uh, I'm play-by-play announcer for the uh, Rhode Island State Robotics Tournament, uh, so I wore out my voice oh, yeah. doing that this All weekend. Right. <laughs> and apparently, that's still lingering with me. Uh, but uh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for sticking it out with us, though. Uh, and uh, you know, stick to uh, stick to Cincy Jungle and uh, then the podcast here throughout the off season. You know, we'll have updates on free agency on the draft uh you know lots of great stuff uh coming from all the writers and contributors to the podcast so uh definitely you know subscribe stay tuned we're gonna have lots of good stuff coming forward so uh for myself and andre uh you know thanks for being with us and go Bengals. yeah good day. thanks matt yeah we're coming for with hours yeah we're coming for with hours yeah we're coming for with hours you hit
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.